What's up, everybody? Welcome to the debut episode of Posting Up with Keith Smith. That's the legend to the right of me and myself, Adam Taylor. I'm super stoked to be doing this show. Um, I've known Keith for a while now. I kind of owe a lot of what I do in terms of basketball to Keith. He's been a guiding light for me. So to be able to host a show with him, uh, honestly, I've been kind of nervous, <clears throat> as you can hear by my throat cracking. How's it going, Keith? It's going good, man. Hey, let, 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 let's get you put, put in a comfort zone before we get into basketball. I got to talk. We're recording this Monday morning. Is it coming home, Adam? Is it coming home this year? Honestly? One? I honestly don't care. <laughs> I know you're not a big soccer uh, No, I don't think it is. Um, right. I think England have a few flaws in their, in their lineup. Uh, I just I think there's stronger teams out there. France being one of them. Uh, Italy are always a force. Brazil, obviously. You are trying to be an American as much as you can. Sometimes I feel like what <laughs> I feel like you're trying to be an American as much as you can. Sometimes, but I mean, I looked yeah. at I have um I have a board here where I keep all of my <laughs> um my daily tasks. Sir. Nice. And I looked at it earlier and read it as if I was working. On, so I was like, oh. 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm not going to be awake at 8 p.m. <laughs> 8 p.m. in my English time. You know, so I'm definitely too ingrained in the American lifestyle. This is my guy right here. This is why I'm happy to do the show with you. <laughs> <laughs> I even I, I order in my donkeys, man. I'm a I'm a I'm an approved American by myself and myself alone. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll, I'll I'll rubber stamp that. I mean, my approval doesn't go very far, but yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's do it. Let's get into some hoops. Let's do what people. Yeah, let's do it. For. So today we're going to look at the small market teams. Like I think a lot of NBA shows kind of try and jump into the the big markets because there's a bigger audience there. When really you're just kind of rehashing the same stuff that everybody else is rehashing, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought a good way, and we discussed this before we came in, was. To start with the smaller market teams, a lot of teams out there have got a really fun, young, up-and-coming rosters. And some of them have got some really great and impressive players. Mm -hmm. Now, as we said in our intro, when we done the intro segment the other day, we both committed to watching a bunch of basketball. Usually, if anyone follows me, usually it's only Celtics for me. So this has been a learning curve, like learning, like trying to watch more of specific teams. And one guy that's really caught me at the moment is uh, Aleski Pokashevsky. Big fan of what he does. Uh, I think that he definitely brings that unicorn style of big man, like you know. And I don't call it unicorn anymore because there's so many of them. So it's yeah, more like sure. my, it's, my, it's my Little Pony basketball at this point, right? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that has the same like super great connotation, but it's uh, it's definitely true. The unicorn label is far overused and no longer applicable. It's the same as generational right. talent, right? Like every yeah, exactly. week, there's a new generation. I'm yeah. like generational means there's one. And yeah, and well, and when Victor Wembanyama gets here next year, that's it. We're done with unicorns. He he is the the unicorn. Done. You know, moving on. And there was there was a bit of hype, like, like Wembanyama esque hype for Poku before he yeah. came over, right? But it was more Giannis style because Poku was playing in like a lower division in Eastern Europe, similar to how they found Giannis. Big guy can shoot the free, can run the fast break, do all that mm -hmm. good stuff. And then he's coming to the NBA, and I think physically it's been an adjustment for him. I think Absolutely. that positionally, as in understanding your angles, understanding rotations, and the actual like nuance of being on an NBA team and the amount of uh, player personnel knowledge that you need on a night tonight, I think that's probably been a bit of an adjustment too. But when I'm looking at him, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that is true. I, I think 
what happens often with big guys is they come in and they're especially young big guys. They're so used to being good almost only because they're big. And I think there was some of that with Poku where it was like, well, I'm, I'm so used to, I'm taller than everybody. So when I'm around the basket, no one can touch me. Well, in the NBA, there's 50, 70, a hundred other guys, your size. So it doesn't, that's not the advantage that it was where I think he's really improved body skill wise is, as odd as this sounds, I think he's taken a lesson from his half a foot shorter teammate, Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I say he's become slithery right around the basket area. Like he's now using his, his small thin frame for his size to his advantage by sliding through some of those gaps that some other guys can't get through instead of just trying to be big and overpowering. He's never going to be that. So now he's using some of that athleticism to his advantage. I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, but I just wanted to add that because I really think that's a huge thing where it's, it's now learning. All right. How do I make my specific unique body type to my advantage versus trying to be something that he's not. Cause if he bulked up to, you know, 280 pounds, he's not going to be as good. He just wouldn't be, he's not going to be, you know, what makes him special. But the fact that he, you know, stays, you know, kind of with what he is and is now figuring out how to make that work. He's starting to figure things out. And you see this with guys that learn how to be slivery. They sort of just pop up. Like we'll mm-hmm. use the air quotes. They pop up on possession to possession, whether it be for a, crashing the boards for an offensive rebound whether it be a back cut, they just, all of a sudden, they just spring free, and you're just like, where did they come from? You have to mm-hmm. scrub back and watch the play again. And I do agree. I think that that's definitely, in terms of a lob threat, poker's become very slivery off ball. My biggest concern with him at the moment, and I know I spoke to you about this um, on a Slack channel, was I think that as a rim runner, as a role man, he's exceptional at catching the ball in the air. It seems to be perfectly fine. If it's a chess pass, he's fine. But because he's so, I like to use the word gangly, because mm-hmm. he's so gangly, anything below his hips, like a bounce pass or a wraparound pass, he's really struggling to command the ball. It's slipping out of his hands. Or if he does catch the ball, I don't think he's good at it as exploding without having to bring his body back up and then going to, and it's taking that half a second extra, which is allowing the defense to come over and really swipe at the ball or pressure it out of his hands. And that, to me, is going to be the next development for him, either for his team to know not to bounce, like pass him the ball below his hips, or for him to be able to actually explode while he's already kind of hunched over and then just use that length off the explosion to really uh, punish defenders. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on. And I I think there's always been a challenge for bigs the going back to when I first started watching the game. um, And then there's there's a really good... um, uh, comment with it it's a quote i believe it's in in uh his autobiography drive by larry bird where he talks about he had to learn how to throw the ball to robert parish and kevin McHale for them to be successful because he parish wanted it super high throw it way up where he, he'll go up and get it but if he threw bounce passes parish would fumble those away where McHale, because McHale was so long it was he preferred to catch it low where then he could turn and work his body into him. So I think with Poku, that's exactly it. That's on the guards, right? That's on Gilgis Alexander, Giddy, Man, some of those other guys to know, hey, where are you putting it for him? Because if you're continually putting it low and he can't handle those, that's as much on you. He'll get better, but only to a point. If he catches everything you throw high, then get it high to him. I think the other thing is 
this is where we said he's become really good at being slithery. He just needs to be that much better at it. And he does have to get strong enough where what teams do. We saw the Celtics do this. They were very content to switch small guards on him. They let Peyton Pritchard guard him for possessions, I believe. So it's very like he's got to learn how to get through those guys. Because what happens in those roles, someone will come over, they'll tag him on those roles, and he's like tagging him lightly puts him completely out of the play. Then he's got no shot. But when he can get through those, he almost does better with the bigs because he, he's able to kind of step around the tag and get to where he wants to be near the basket. I will say this with him. What's really impressive and I think is exciting, and I looked this up this morning to make sure kind of this was matching stats to the eye test. He's taking a career high 29.5% of his shots at the rim. This year, last year is at 20% as a rookie, only 13%. This is a seven footer. But what's really exciting is he's making 78.8% of those shots at the basket area this year. So that does show he's really starting to improve that finishing. That's why he's up to 49% overall after being an extremely poor shooter in his first two seasons, which is that that was worrisome, right? Was if this guy can't finish and he's not going to be knocking down jumpers at a 40% clip, what is he? Now he's really finishing at the rim. Got to get rid of a couple of the, he's, he's a little too confident in taking that like 15 foot like half runner leaner thing i don't even know what to describe it as you got to get those let's get those out of the out of the package um but his spot up threes have been pretty solid he's really finishing well around the rim so i'm excited for him but yeah gotta catch the ball better and then also gotta make better decisions with the ball when the defense rotates because he's still a turnover machine he tries he tries stuff i i'm very fond of when i'm watching him tweeting Poku is an experience and that's it. I just leave it at that and let anybody's mind kind of go where they want. Cause that's really what he is. There's time, he will try passes that I don't even know that anybody else in the league even thinks to try. You know, he'll throw a, a catch a lob defense is there and he'll throw it behind the back to the opposite corner that it quite often ends up in the seventh row of the seats, but he's uh, you know, Hey, he's an experience. That's all I can say. I blame Josh Giddy. <clears throat> <clears throat> Josh Giddy is an, enab an enabler of wild basket. <laughs> he might be. Because you see Josh Giddy come up with so many just crazy, like, I think I was watching a game the other day and he went for a stretch of, I think it was like four turnovers in really short succession, trying yeah. to thread the needle, trying to swing it across court when there was clearly a help defender in the passing lane. Yeah, Josh Giddy's confidence in his passing is it's pretty off the charts, <laughs> which is good, but it does lead to that sloppiness for sure. Overall, though, I think the Thunder have been an an improved team. I think they've been an impressive team. Yeah. All the pieces are there, right? I think if Dort Absolutely. can figure out his shooting struggles to start the season, because he's had some hot moments, but then he's called off. And I think yeah. when that when he does call off, he, he it's kind of that Marcus Smart vibe, right? Like he wants to keep firing so he gets hot again instead of deferring. But the big Dave, problem too, if I can interrupt you with that comp for me is he doesn't contribute in the other parts of the game the way yeah. smart does right you're never going to get the playmaking he's he's a good defender but he's not that you know game wrecking defender that marcus smart can be on there so yeah that's where but yeah the shooting wise yeah i mean he will just keep keep launching which is again kind of like we talked about with gideon poku with the passing that's great. You know, every team needs somebody who's a little bit kind of uh, unconscionable as a shooter, because if they get hot, they're, they're going to win you a game. But yeah, Dort, I, I, I'm less high on him than I have been 
in the first few years of his career because I'm just starting to feel like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's probably best if he's like your seventh or eighth player in your rotation versus being a starter. I actually put that in my notebook. It was once the Thunder evolve mm-hmm. and they get deeper and players actually want to join in free agency, Dort will be a bench guy. But what I will say in kind of in favor of him jacking up so many threes is players, in my mind, players don't come into a game every night or every other night knowing what everybody's shooting from deep. Mm-hmm. It's such a fluid statistic. All they yep. know is this guy gets them up, this guy doesn't. And the guys that get them up, you need to stick with them. So Dort just firing away, even though he's struggling at the moment, he still holds some value in forcing a defender to stick with him. Because the one time you sag off is going to be the time he nails the free. Yeah, I always say, unless they're a destructively bad shooter, meaning they're taking 10 threes a game and making two, um, I give me a bad shooter over a non-shooter any day. Philadelphia, this is going back a couple years, but they would completely crater offensively when they would play Ben Simmons and TJ McConnell together because playing those two guys, they're two non-shooters. And what I mean by a non-shooter is they won't shoot even if they're wide open, right? They're they're not going to take anything because then what happens is a bad shooter, you still kind of have to pay attention to because they can get hot. A non-shooter, you could completely disregard and leave alone. And there was points where McConnell and Simmons, and this still happens to both of them in their careers. Obviously, Simmons more high-profile than McConnell, but they go to certain spots of the floor, and it's like you're playing four on five, and no one's even there to to you know try and defend. So so that becomes an issue. So I, I do I I yeah keep keep shooting because. At least, you know, you get on one of those, all right, he's hit four or five. Now we got to get out there. That's different than a guy who won't shoot at all. It's that uh, old quote that the kids love to use. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> yep. We say the kids because we're not kids, unfortunately. Nope. <laughs> Last thing I want to touch on on the Thunder. I saw you tweet this out the other day, actually. Um, is Obviously, we're going to talk. We've got to mention SGA if we're talking Thunder. Otherwise, we're being disingenuous. You tweeted out that you think that the Thunder have all the pieces in place to be a competitive team in, in, in the near future. And that's why SGA is most likely content with staying with that franchise right now, knowing that he's more than capable of being a league guard for a championship caliber team. He, he seems quite happy there. What are you, I just wondered if you wanted to elaborate on that tweet because I find that really interesting with everything that's been said recently. Yeah, there's been so much rumor of eventually he's going to get tired of it. He's going to ask out. He's going to want to trade and you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and that is true. I just don't think that eventually is this year or next year. I think he is. I think the plan for the Thunder was let's try to be a little better this year. Then Chad Holmgren got hurt and it became, all right, Let's we're still going to try to be better, you know, which honestly all they needed to do to be better is just play their guys. Right. They, they, they sack guys last year. And I know people will say SGA had a real injury and I'm not going to debate that, that and try to say he didn't, but he could have come back. But the Thunder were like, what's what's the point? Like, why? why? Just just let, let this guy rest. Let him get fully over it and let's go. So I think what what if you really look at that team is they've got a lot of interesting guys. They've got a lot of guys who are positioned where they've got some cap space this coming summer. They've got some guys where if they need to trade them very easily, they can move those guys. And then you're all right. Add one or two 
veteran, like real NBA rotation level guys. And now all of a sudden you've got a group that can really kind of push through and be something that that's pretty good. So I think next year becomes the let's step forward season. And I think then if it's still another complete, you know, dumpster fire of a record and they're awful then we can have that conversation of all right what what's going on with sga and what's his patience level i just think having it now it's just too early yeah i think i think i agree you see players all the time especially with someone like sga that came from the clippers over in the trade was still quite raw himself and Mm -hmm. would sga be the player he is if he wasn't given the opportunity to play the minutes he's played, play through the mistakes that he had early exactly. and develop. So then you do get that that certain amount of loyalty. Now, obviously, that's never that's not infinite. There will be a point in time where he's like, hey, we've got young pieces. We need to start making moves to become mm-hmm. more of a competitive team. Or I'm a piece that can help you expedite a rebuild in a different way. Um, can you please move me? So does, he does have options, but personally, I think... Being the being the franchise cornerstone has something to it itself. Be, knowing that you can earn a significant amount of life changing money with Oklahoma and help them grow, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. But if, as you say, in two years, three years, if they're still, you know, a, perim, a peripheral playoff team, then he might be like, "Hey, I'm not wasting my entire career just fighting for the for the eighth seed." Exactly. That yeah, and that that that's it. And uh, every player hits that point eventually, where it's like I'm they, I, I'm not going to keep doing this. So now I'm you know let's say halfway through my career, right? Am I you know super productive years of my career? Which obviously SGA is taking a level you know a leap. He may be a thirty point per game scorer this season, and he's you know right, right around that marker. Like it's it's going to come. But yeah, I just I just thought that speculation was was a little too early. Bit too early. I, I like that. I like the uh, the analysis there. So I want to move us on to your hometown. For anybody that doesn't know, Keith lives in sunny Orlando. Um, <laughs> I say this while it's raining and at about eleven degrees Fahrenheit here. So uh, jealousy is definitely in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. Fun? Eleven degrees is not. I can't. It's very yeah, very cold right cold. now. Yeah, that's too much. Uh, I might be mis- I might be over exaggerating now. I'll double check. I'll <laughs> fact check myself later. But Orlando are probably my favorite young team in the league right now. And I'm probably I don't know whether it's Bancaro or Banchero. I like Banchero. Bancaro. It's Bancaro with the hard K sound. Okay, so Bancaro has probably been my favorite rookie thus far. Um, I think if anybody knows has ever listened to me on any other shows, which I doubt. Uh, I'm a huge Cole Anthony guy. I, I really like Cole Anthony. And just because basketball's entertainment first and foremost, right? And I find that Cole Anthony's style of play is incredibly entertaining. But And then Franz Wagner's there. Uh, Mo Bamba's playing great. Bol Bol, I saw um, on NBA.com, there was an article yesterday saying Bol Bol could get most improved player votes. Uh, they're just so much fun. So I was wondering, like, you're in a position where they're your local team. You, you probably know the players. You you know the area. What they're. How are you feeling about Orlando's chances at the moment of just developing into someone a team that could be a, a threat? Yeah, they're they're building towards something special. They 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 have to get healthy. That's the biggest thing. And what what's unfortunate is they've got to get these guys back because this year was supposed to be the start to figure out what you have year for, for the magic. Some people went a little crazy and were like, Hey, magic could make the play in and those kind of things. And I don't want to say they couldn't because I mean, being the 10th, 
best team in your conference is that's all it takes to make the play in. And that's, you know, that's not exactly like a huge accomplishment, but I think that was too far. Cause I think what the magic's intentions were was, all right, we've got Bancaro. We're going to get all these other guys back on the floor and we're just going to see what we have and what the idea is who fits together. How can we make these lineups work? Um, they have figured out one thing, which is we can play these big giant, long, goofy lineups and be fine. Because when Bencaro and Wagner are on the floor, they're both forwards in the traditional sense, but they can both handle it, shoot it, and pass it well enough that we can play them with one true guard and feel really good about where we're at with, with that. So that, that's already a major comfort for them because their guards right now, that's the biggest question mark on this team. Um, Jalen Suggs is really starting to show some stuff now. The challenge is each time Jalen Suggs starts to feel comfortable, starts to do some stuff, he gets hurt. It's happened in his rookie year, right as he was really starting to put together a string of good games. He got hurt in his thumb. It was a thumb injury that messed up his shot. Then he wasn't really the same. So now we get it back to here we are with him back. Um, you mentioned Cole Anthony. I think Cole Anthony, who I, I'm i a big fan of too, it, the one of the things I really like too is he wants to be here in Orlando and he wants to make it work with the magic. I think ideally Cole Anthony is a 25 to 30 minute a game bench guard where you, you add two more guards and maybe that's Suggs. Ideally it's Suggs and maybe Markel Fultz. And now we feel pretty good about our three guard rotation because we can play any mix of those three guys and feel pretty good about it. Um, that's probably his best role uh, for Cole Anthony, but it's just right now it's let's get those guys back. There's signs there of this is going to probably work out. Wendell Carter Jr. is a terrific player. They've got him signed long-term. We'll see what Jonathan Isaac is when he eventually returns from, from injury. No idea when that will actually happen, um, which is also another challenge. But Bancaro, Wagner, and I'm going to throw Suggs in there. I think I feel really good about that as kind of my three-man grouping with Carter as probably the fourth guy in that kind of core group. I think you can build a winner around those four. And that's the biggest thing, right? Like, watching the Magic play at the moment, it's very easy to forget that Isaac is out. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, he's been out for a long time. Fultz, again, has just been a false start his entire career. I, mean, I know his first year with Orlando, I was kind of pushing the narrative of, hey, this is essentially his rookie season, right? He's played a few games here and there, but this is his first full season. Towards the end mm -hmm. of it, he starts showing you some stuff. Uh, crafty off the dribble, quite twitchy, can get downhill, then he gets hurt again. Isaac had the potential to be one of the better defensive guys in the league and had some offense on him. Can't stay healthy. Suggs, I haven't seen enough of for me to have a, gen a fair opinion. So um, I'm going to stay away from commenting on Suggs. But what I would say is Franz Wagner looks like he could be a guy that can seriously be a... a yeah, I, I'm not going to say an elite player on a contending team, but he can, he can be an impact maker on a contending team for sure. Um, Banquero... Show, it just reminds me so much of rookie Jason Tatum. It's unbelievable. Um, I think maybe his defense is already a little bit further along just because he's more physical, like he's got more of a physical presence to mm -hmm. him than what young Tatum did. And Tatum um, was a better shooter yeah. out of the gate, but yeah, there, there's got, some stuff there. So, and it's the Duke, um, it's the Duke fingers, sure. right? You see guys come out of Duke, he's like, it could be Tatum. No, <laughs> yeah. but, um, no, he's six <laughs> foot nine, ten. Yeah, he could be, Duke. yeah, sure, he could be I, Jason I get that. Tatum. Yep. Um, but no, they've been really fun to watch. I think that I like some of the sets that they're running. Uh, I think that some of the offense that they're running is quite innovative. 
Mm -hmm. don't see the ball stagnate too much. A lot of corner actions for them. They like to work in the corners, which makes sense because they've got guards that can come over screens, get their shoulder into defenders' hips to create space. It mm -hmm. does, the way they're playing is definitely designed to get the best out of the, the players they've got. Yeah. Jamal Mosley can really coach. Um, he's also they play very very hard. Even last year when they were bad, they never stopped playing hard the whole way through, and that that's a testament to the coach. Yeah, you know, when you can can get them there, they were one of the first teams. They added one of those bells uh, to the practice facility where it's somebody takes a charge, somebody dies on the floor, they run over and they ring the bell, and it's like, hey, you you made a play. You're you're ready to work here. You're you're ready to do this, and that's. Some people be like, that's stupid and cheesy, but guys do get excited for that kind of stuff. It's uh, you know, I'll tell a quick story. When I played in high school, our coach used to give us McDonald's coupons if we took charges, and you wouldn't believe how competitive we got for for getting those McDonald's coupons back in the day. So it's uh, it's you know that, that that's a thing, right? I mean, whatever you got to do to motivate guys, especially when you're in that rebuilding phase, is huge. And Jamal Mosley can coach. You know, he he's a really really good coach, and I I just you always hope. Can he stick it through through long enough to you know win just enough to when this team finally comes together? He can be there on the back end to to benefit. That's what we hope for. And that all comes down to front office patience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think they've got it. I, yeah. I was a big fan of Borrego as an offensive mind um, in Charlotte, and I was a bit disappointed when they decided to move off of him, considering they'd never gave him a legitimate center in his entire tenure as a coach. <laughs> I want to yeah, talk about incentivizing. Taking the drive-by, Adam. Jeez, <laughs> you know what I mean. He's a he's a bench big, in my opinion. Um, sure. Talking of incentivization, I want to ask you: How do you think the beam in Sacramento has impacted their winning? I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> I think it's so fun. People are hating on it. You know, it's like the people who are like making, they just want to make fun of the Kings. You know what? Hey, if those guys get super fired up for lighting the beam, let's go. Like that, you know, now they do the whole thing after the game where like they pick a player to go and do it. Like, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's a, the coolest thing, thing going. I, you know, more, more power to, you know, this is supposed to be fun. Like the more things we can do to make it fun, well, let's let's do it. I'm all about it. I heard the crowd chanting "Light the beam." Light the, the beam, the yeah, it's yeah. great, right? So, yeah, and they, and they've been on a good a good stretch mm -hmm. since that beam got introduced. As you said, that the motivation, the incentivization to let the whole the whole city know, hey, we won again. Like you, you know, yeah. and basketball means a lot to a lot of people. So being able to just kind of look at the bat signal and be like, they've won. <laughs> do you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like. Man, I see the beam over there a lot. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe I should check out a Kings game. Yeah, exactly. anything that can galvanize a crowd and stuff like that, right? It's like it, it's you know, it's it's like like Taco was in Boston for a long time, right? It was like you know the We Want Taco cheers. Now it got a little silly when it was starting in like the second quarter, but like when it was the end of the game, like that got people fired up because it was like, or we're getting taco because because we're winning, right? So we're we're gonna get taco time, and it was you know that that was that was always fun, or even like you know when. when when people are, you know, get all fired up because it's like, all right, the opponent misses 10 free throws. You get free Chick-fil-A or whatever. Like <laughs> people get super excited about that. So yeah, any of that stuff. Yeah. And when that crowd was chanting, light the beam, man, I love that stuff. I, th I think it's great. You know, and they're the fun team in Sacramento. I just tweeted about it this morning because I was watching their game. Uh, they're playing really well. And Keegan Murray hasn't been a big part of it yet. And he's going to get better. Like he, he's going to be a really, really good player. So uh, I'm enthused about the Kings. 
We've got some more kings to talk about once we get to that real little nut segment, which is going to be <laughs> a trending segment, everybody. You're going to see that all over social media because we're going to be famous with this show. <laughs> um, we've got one more I want to touch on here. I did have two, but one of them I feel like we can just kind of avoid. Um, sure. So the last one I want to hit on, and again, it's a small market team with a big with a big market level player or a big market name, and that's Detroit with Cade Cunningham. And Mr. Cunningham is currently injured. And Detroit have been struggling to say, to be fair, I don't think they've been uh, uh, executing at a high level throughout the whole season. There's been stretches, let's, if we're being honest. But with Cade out, how do you feel that that affects the, the Pistons' immediate chances of success, at least in like the short term, like ten games? Yeah, it, they're going to struggle without him. He, he is their best offensive cre- creator. I'm not going to say by far because Jaden Ivey's showing some stuff, but right now Jaden Ivey is a scorer first. He's not doing a lot of creation for others. Where Cunningham, why I think those two can be such a dynamic backcourt together is Cunningham wants to pass. He wants to get in there and set guys up. And that's where that's important, right? Because if you put two primary scores on the ball a lot, it can be really hard to, to make your offense because then you're going to get 10 other guys who aren't going to get a lot of touches. But if one of those primary on-ball guys is is a creator for others first, which Cunningham is, you can really get some good stuff going. So I I think it's going to be tough for them. One of their fans tweeted, he tweeted at James Edwards, um, who's a great Pistons writer for The Athletic. He tweeted at him, I'm so tired of watching this team um, make the same stupid mistakes. They have to lead the league, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm also going to clean it up. Dumb crap per 100 possessions. And like that just... One, it tickled me to no end because I thought that was super funny. Funny way to put it. But it's so true. They do the dumbest stuff. Now, young teams do dumb stuff, but like it's like exacerbated with this Pistons team. Like they'll they'll run a great set and then somebody will record scratch, hold the ball. And then the next thing you know, either shot clock expires or it's like they're throwing up some contested 25 footer. Cause it's just, you know, dumb stuff there. Or they, they get out on the break and it's like, all right, all you have to do is make the simple pass. And it's like, Nope, I'm going for the highlight. And they end up throwing it in the seats or, you know, throwing it off their teammates leg or whatever. So they, they, they are pretty messy. Um, I love Cade Cunningham, you know, let's get him back, you know, again, these seasons are about who fits. How are we making this work? What are these all about when you're a rebuilding team? The last thing, the losing games part, I don't care about that. They're going to yeah. lose games. That part's whatever. It's the missed development time and that missed time as an organization to figure out, much like I said with Orlando, kind of related OKC too. Um, when you're missing guys, it's just that's what you're missing out on is that development and finding out who fits together. And that, that's, you know, that the losing part I don't really care about. It's that that's what's missing for Detroit. Because they have some good young guys too. As you said, they've got Ivy. I'm trying to remember. Dur- is it Duran? Duran? Yep, Duran. Um, yep. I, 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 his pronunciations I struggle with. Duran, uh, <laughs> Duran. Yeah. yeah Duran, Duran. Now we'll, uh, we'll age ourselves even more here. <laughs> that's a bit before my time, just to be yeah, fair. Yeah, it's, it's, to be fair, that's before my time too. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's not quite I'm... that old. <laughs> uh, but they've got those two guys uh you know, Killian Hayes was meant to be something. I don't really think he is much. Yeah. He strikes me of an, another, like, uh, without the defense, another Frank Nitakalina. Yeah. Um, I like Sadiq Bay, another good young guy. What I am kind of looking at now is 
do they allow Alec Burks to take over the offense the same way New York did for stretches last season? Because when Burks was setting up that, that Knicks offense for a while, he was surrounded by young guys, excluding Randall, really. Mm. And he'd done a really good job of kind of leading that, that offensive charge, playing that primary playmaking role. And can he help keep the Pistons afloat while Cunningham recovers? If so, that's going to be a great pickup for them this offseason. Yeah, and I almost think you have to at this point. They've lost, as we're recording this again on Monday, um, they've lost seven straight going into to, to their next game. And you have to, at some point, you have to win at least a game here and there just to keep guys from completely losing it, right? Like you, you don't want to let go of the rope this early in the season because then it becomes a completely lost season. Now, if that finishes with, lottery luck and Victor Wembanyama, everybody's gonna be like, all right, we're good. Yeah, we're okay. But the reality is you don't want to, before we even hit the holiday period in the first of the year, you don't want to want it to all fall apart there. So I think you almost have to. The other thing is what they're missing, which I think Alec Burks being back, Corey Joseph got reinserted into the rotation in their last game. Um, I think those two guys being back, what you need right now, especially with Cunningham out, just organizers on the floor, guys who can get guys in the right spot, get guys set up for some stuff. That's what you almost need because if you're trying to find out like, all right, what can Jaden Ivey be if we run this, this you know specific off-ball action? What happens is you get it has the potential to get very messy and you're not going to get those looks because he's not where he needs to be and those kind of things. But yeah, I, I think Burks, Joseph, those guys are going to play a little bit more just because you, you don't want things to fall completely apart on you before we even hit Christmas. So being cognizant of time, I want us to move on to our first segment of the episode, which will be a recurring segment, real or not, which is very simple. We discuss a few different points and we decide whether those are real or whether those are not real in terms of are they sustainable or not, basically. So Sacramento, at the time that I did the research, was sitting second in the NBA for offensive rating. I'm pretty sure it's still around second, maybe it dropped to third. I think they still are, yeah. Yeah. Real or not? Uh, not real. The, the shooting's going to gonna hit its level eventually with them and i think that's what we'll we'll back off but i i think i mean right now they're the only team in the nba i just looked it up they're shooting 50.2 percent from the field uh right now like that's their overall 38 percent from three so that that's gonna dip uh eventually when that dips they'll start to fall off but it's not i they're not gonna crater completely it's not like they're like i'm saying that falls off and they finish you know 20th in offensive rating I, I think it'll it'll stick some the lakers have put a couple of wins together they beat the pistons then they beat the spurs and they've beat the nets so they're free straight at this point real or not not real um and that's not me picking on the lakers at all it's just they played bad teams you played the nets without Kyrie, and then you played uh two um to uh two two bad teams that that aren't very good so i'm not i you know good for them i mean they, they needed to start stringing together some wins you got to beat the bad teams but show me when they beat a good team at you know at least relatively full strength and then we can talk i like that one denver's perimeter shooting they've been arguably the best three-point shooting team in the league they've pretty much eradicated their wedge actions to get uh, Jokic down onto the post. They're relying on him more as a passer and as a three-point threat and as a short roll guy now. Do you think their perimeter shooting stays at, stays at an elite level, real or not? Yeah, I think that's a little more real. I, I think um, 
putting Jokic in those positions is is huge. And I think they're able to do that because you've got Porter and Murray back who can handle some of that on-ball duties. Um, where before, you know, the last season, everything had to run through Jokic. And, you know, everywhere. Top of the key, the elbows, the posts, cuts, rolls. Everything had to involve him if they were going to create any kind of looks. Also, Bruce Brown has become now, to this point, a pretty good shooter. Contavious Caldwell Pope. We have a history of he's a pretty good shooter. Both of those guys, too, much better when they're just catch and shoot guys where they can hit, hit a spot. They're both very smart from years of playing with very good players. Of all right, that's where I need to be to get this. And then Murray and Porter, obviously, two two guys. And Porter and Murray haven't fully got Nick going yet. So when they do, yeah, that team's t- team stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna buy into that. The Mavericks have the fifth-ranked ra- fifth defense by defensive rating in the league. Real or not? Uh, not real, but only kind of. They're going to drop. I think they'll finish in that 10-12 range. Um, they were good last year, but this year we're starting to see some cracks in in, in that defense a, l- a little bit. And I think uh, some of the stuff they're doing, teams now, you've got a full year of tape. You've seen some stuff. You, sh- you can start figuring those things out. So I'm, I'm going to say they, they slip some, but again, much like the Kings in the offense, I don't think they're going to like drop down into the lower third. I think they'll just drop more towards the middle back half of the top 10. That's fair. Westbrook coming off the bench, I want to just give a take here. I was a big fan of this idea because I felt that playing alongside LeBron and AD meant there was not enough touches to go around. I think that was quite a common thought process. I don't think I was uh, reinventing the wheel there. But coming off the bench, you're allowing Westbrook to be the primary ball handler. He can rip and go the way he likes to, and he can be the focal point of the offense. Since going to the bench, he's been more like the Westbrook that we'd expect him to be. And the Lakers have been a far better team on both sides of the floor while he's on the floor and when he's off the floor because the, the rotations just make more sense. So since with Westbrook coming off the bench, is his production real or not? Uh, real. Let's see what happens with the thumb injury he suffered last night. If that turns into a thing, that will obviously impact it. But yeah, I think so. I think I've been saying if, if he is willing to sacrifice, which can be very hard for a player of his stature and what he has been for years and years and years in this league, if he's willing to sacrifice and go go to being a uh, make a Derrick Rose-like transition to being, I'm going to be the, the leader of the second unit. I'm going to come in. I'm going to do my thing. Might only be for 20 minutes a night, but I can really do that. He could add two, three productive years to his career. It's going to be whether or not he's really willing to make those sacrifices and changes. Yeah, letting him kind of cook on second units, that's tough. Because you also think, too, when he gets in the game, it's quite often when the starters are – they're they're just in need of that first blow, and those backup guards they're not they're they're not equipped to handle Russ, you know, and what he does as an attacker. So yeah, I, I think we're getting close. The Sixers during this offseason believed, and I, I find this quite an interesting one. They made moves to be a contending team. You know, they still believe in James Harden. I think that Daryl Morey is still living about five years ago at this point. (laughs) Uh, Still believed in Joel Embiid. Why wouldn't you believe in Joel Embiid? Let's be fair. They go out to to bring in PJ Tucker, to bring in Eddie House. A big fan of the, I'm a big fan of the Anthony Melton and what he brings. They make moves to be a contender. At the moment, they're eighth in the East at 0500. Is their struggles real or not? Um, real in the sense of, I don't think they're going to be quite what 
folks thought they would be. Um, meaning I don't know that they're going to be a top two, three team in the East. Um, maybe they get there. I, I think they have that chance. And right now, so much of that, let's, let's, you know, just so everybody before they yell at us, we recognize James Harden's been hurt. Joel Embiid's been slowed. Now Tyrese Maxey is hurt. Tobias Harris is dealing with something. That's four of your five starters, but PJ Tucker, I was not very high on that signing when they made it. I thought Jason Tatum had a ton of success breaking him down in the Eastern Conference Finals. Even when Tatum didn't shoot well, uh, he was still getting to his spots very easily against PJ Tucker. So I was a little bit concerned about that. I've never been a Daniel House guy. I felt like he had, you know, easily one of his best runs with Utah at the end of last year. I like to melt and pick up, but I'm always going to be skeptical. Harden now, now we have a history. We have several years running now of injury issues. Um, Joel Embiid, we know what happens there. He's going to miss 20-ish games in the regular season. And then is he going to be healthy and have enough left in the tank by the time we get to the playoffs? So I'm not – they're good, but I'm not fully bought in. They'll be better than 500 when they get those guys back. They should probably be around home court advantage, but I'm not going to put them in the Boston Milwaukee tier at the top of the East just because I don't don't trust it. I just don't trust it will be there when it needs to be. I, I agree. I think that the Sixers are kind of, we've seen teams do this before, right? Like to a lesser extent, the Sixers are the new Lakers from last season, right? A bunch of older <laughs> players. Uh, I like to call that, that, that rusted the golden girl Lakers. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of like the golden girl adjacent Sixers, right? Except that, you know, Tyrese Max is young enough to be able to give you something. Seth Curry as well. But I don't see them being an enormous threat in the East. I think, if Joel Embiid is dominant during the playoffs, then they're always going to be a threat because he's an MVP caliber guy. And, you know, the team with an MVP caliber guy is usually a threat. Unfortunately, there's a few Eastern Conference teams at the moment with MVP caliber guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, go figure. Uh, let's move on to the final segment of the episode, eye catchers. So this is about players that caught our eye, in case the title wasn't explan- explanatory, <laughs> explanatory enough. And we'll, ex- uh, we'll, we'll expand it to maybe teams if the team is doing something new or something. But true. today it's going to be all about players. And moving forwards, I'm a big fan of like play calls and X's and O's. So there will be times where I'll probably call out a play. And if you're watching on YouTube, we'll try and run it without getting flagged by YouTube. <laughs> um, first guy that caught my eye, and I'd love your thoughts, I haven't seen enough of him to know if this is what to expect or I don't watch the Kings a bunch was a Chimsy Metu. I thought he was just a full energy guy. Great above the rim threat. He looked solid as a glass protector, like a glass cleaner, good motor as a rim runner. Is this what you expect from Metu? Uh, a little bit. I, I think he's maybe playing a little bit above his head right now. He's, he, he's finishing better than we've ever seen, but, but I, I, I think so. He's uh for anybody who's not super familiar, maybe you haven't been watching the Kings yet, but as we talked earlier, watch the Kings, they're fun. Um, <laughs> but Metu has replaced Rashawn Holmes in the rotation. Um, Rashawn Holmes completely out of the rotation. I know he's a guy a lot of a lot of people, you know, I'd love to have Rashawn Holmes on my team. I, I get that all the time. Um, Metu has taken his spot just simply because he's working out there. He had a good year last year, averaged about nine points per game last year. Uh, as Adam said, plays with a ton of energy. He's all over the place, um, do, doing stuff. And he is um, you know, he, he's just a tough player. Nobody really noticed last year because 
it was the Kings and they were terrible. Um, but he, he put together a pretty good year and he's doing the same this year. Now he's playing a little less, but that's because Sabonis is healthy. Um, those two guys together don't necessarily work. Your spacing gets a little, a little messy with that, but playing, you know, the, uh, 15 minutes or so a night behind Sabonis, it's working out for Matu and he looks pretty good. Next one up on the list is a former King current pacer, Tyrese Halliburton. I'm a huge, I remember speaking to you last season saying, and I said, I'd love Halliburton and the Celtics. And mm-hmm. you said to me, so would every other team in the league. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yep. And then all of a sudden, another team in the league managed to get Tyrese Halliburton. I was like, oh man. Um, I think he's improved. One of the biggest things for me is I like the fact that he utilizes an escape dribble. Like when he when he comes off a screen or he goes into an action, if he sees the defense is taking that away, he will just escape dribble reset and he bides his time. And that quick change of pace just means that if he burns two or three seconds on the clock waiting for a new screen to be set or for a player to come off ball or whatever, he, he doesn't make much of a difference because he can mm-hmm. make up ground so quickly with that size and length. Three-point jumper to me is still a little bit Lonzo Ball-esque in terms of the, the, the motion he takes. Yep. But... Uh, I'm a big fan, and he's really caught my eye recently. He's been giving some great production, uh, and I think the Pacers are another fun young team to watch. Yeah, I I, I don't worry about the jumper because he's consistently hit 40% from three um, since he's been in the NBA. So I think we have a large enough sample size now, both in terms of years and volume of attempts. So I'm not going to worry about it. I liken it back to another former Sacramento King, Kevin Martin had maybe the weirdest shooting uh, stroke you've ever seen. And if, if you guys didn't catch him, go look him up on YouTube. He had this full wind-up deal, and it was like a slingshot. And Kevin Martin was a great shooter. So sometimes, as long as it goes in, don't mess with it. It's fine. You know, guys can have weird shooting motions and be okay. I think what with Halliburton, what impresses me most is there were some questions of, did the Kings have him in, in that secondary creator role? Because it could he really handle the full on-ball creation role as a scorer and as a playmaker for others? And the answer is 100% yes. He's leading the league at over 10 assists per game. Uh, Pacers, what weird for Rick Carlisle team, playing super up-tempo. Halliburton kind of keys that whole thing. Uh, they play a lot of three-guard lineups in Indiana, mostly because it's what they have to do. Uh, they don't have anything really resembling small forwards on that roster. So it's get up and down the floor. Our guy, Aaron Neesmith, finally maybe figuring it out, finding his footing a little bit, starting to knock down some shots. He's a good match with Halliburton, much like Buddy Heald. can run all the same stuff. Run all your healed actions, run them for Neesmith. They've kind of basically said, hey, shoot. And, and yeah, Tyrese Halliburton, really, really good. I mentioned it to, to you, Adam, off air before we started. Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows did a really good piece on Halliburton. It's probably a month or so old now. But go check it out if you guys are if you guys if you're listening to this and watching us, you probably love super deep dive nerdy stuff. Um, go check it out because what she analyzes what happens when Tyrese Halliburton jumps to pass. Um, and it was super cool, you know, that she got into that level of detail um, on a million possessions interspersed it as she always does with clips and good stuff. So I would go check that out. But yeah, Tyrese Halliburton, a lot of fun. I'm personally going to be checking that out today. I think for everything I've heard about Caitlin Cooper is that she's fantastic. At what Unbelievable. She does. And I love the deep dive stuff. I will say that I want to put Halliburton in that Poku and Giddy range for just passing confidence. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's he, getting uh, there more often than not, though. Oh, they are. He's <laughs> so, definitely got a step up there. Yeah. Another guy that's been impressive at the guard position 
is our guy Derek White. And I say our guy because Keith and myself both cover the Celtics. It's how yeah, in case you thought you weren't getting any Boston talk, we're we're gonna work a little in on occasion. I mean, we have to, right? Yeah, they're right? the best yeah. team in the league right now. Yeah, thirteen to three, baby. Derek White, you know, playing starts to get the season off as the two the starting two guard for the Celtics. Playing alongside Marcus Smart. Defense wasn't really great. So then Joe Mazzula makes the switch, puts Derek White onto the bench, brings Grant Williams into the starting five just to try and shore up that defense. In my opinion as well, start getting that rotation used to playing double big lineups again. Mm -hmm. Marcus Smart gets, well, Brogdon gets hurt first, then Marcus Smart. Derek White gets reinserted back into that starting five and just takes over. Like over the last few games, he's been showing that he can get downhill and attack downhill. Uh, he can play make, he can play off ball. He's a fantastic inverted screener, which is just another way of saying when a guard screens for a player that's bigger than him, you use it to force mismatches. I think Derek White's been fantastic there. Uh, just big eye-catching week for Derek White, in my opinion. Uh, for a guy that a lot of people really thought was a mistake of a pickup for the Celtics last year. Yeah, that that's just nonsense. It was a great pickup and, you know, it doesn't, you know, that's full stop. Um the inverted screening stuff, they got a ton of use out of that in the Pelicans game. Not so much to get the big, who is usually Al Horford, matched up against the small, but to then let White work against uh, Jonas Valanciunas in space. Um, they really opened up the floor for him. Um, so what they did was Horford would screen um, the small, usually with somebody like Alvarado or CJ McCollum, picked up Horford. And then White, instead of attacking immediate, would bring the ball back out. Then Horford, instead of getting down in the post, which normally would be, come on, you got CJ McCollum on you. Horford would space out like he normally does against anybody. You play four out with a big garden, Derek White. Good luck. He's getting to the rim almost every single time. He's just so he's just quick enough and crafty enough. His quick decision making is huge. But really, what makes all of this work is he's shooting great. And the yeah. two things very clearly that the Celtics worked with, which I believe we got to give a lot of credit to Ben Sullivan, who's kind of their shooting guy, is uh, catching the ball higher and quick and speeding up his release. I think it's he catch it, he's catching the ball instead of catching it down around his waist, he's catching it up here, already in shooting position and just right into the shot with White. He's been great, you know, from the outside. Um I like they they run the it's a little pet action they like where he initiates, then he kind of pitches um to Tatum or Brown and then Tatum or Brown attacks off the second screen uh, to get to the middle of the floor and then it's a kick to White in the corner and White just kind of slowly after he, you know, does the initial pitch he kind of meanders his way to the corner so the defense a lot of times feels like they kind of lose him um because he's not making a hard basket cut he's not making a run for the corner and on those plays quite often at least recently grant williams is faced to the other corner so you're kind of caught if you're a defense and now that tatum and brown are regularly playing the drive and kick game it just opens everything up but Der Derek white's been fantastic big big fan of what Derek white's brought to the celtics this season yeah. Last guy on the list, and then we can let everybody go. We've run a little bit over what we would like to here. Um, we just got excited for yeah, sure. get us talking <laughs> born, and we don't know when to start. <laughs> Anthony Davis, a huge couple of weeks for him for the Lakers, especially without LeBron. I know that um, Darvin Ham kind of said in a recent press conference that he'd like AD to keep this level of aggression when LeBron's back even if it's just to ease the workload on LeBron. And then obviously from a, a bigger picture perspective, they always saw AD as their long-term successor, their long-term star once LeBron decided either moved on or hung up his boots, hung up his ball or whatever you want to say there. Um, he's been fantastic. But again, the issue is 
injury concerns? Can he sustain the workload? Can he sustain the physicality that comes with being a primary option? But while he's healthy, I think at the minute he's reminding everybody what he's capable of. Yeah, I, I don't need to spend any real time on uh, his game, right? We all know what Anthony Davis can do. It's that first part of what you said is I think the Lakers, they want to be the team they want to be, not just this year, but over the next couple of years. It, LeBron has to start to, right, this is AD's team now, and start to take that step back. And then he can still be LeBron when you need him to be. But the important part will be if you only need him to be LeBron once out of every four or five games, that's better than I'm trying to be, you know, old school LeBron two, three, four nights out of four. Um, that's where where I think you've got to really, you know, let him to kind of uh, start to use AD. But to the last point you said is, can AD hold up? Every time he starts to take on these massive usage roles, um, especially if he's playing inside a lot, um, he gets hurt. He just, it's just what happens to him. So, you know, you kind of take the good with the bad. You take these strong runs when you get them. But if you want to be a really good team, you know, you have to be conscious of, can he, can he sustain this for more than, uh, you know, a span of maybe a month or two at a time without suffering an injury that then costs him considerable time. So that's, that's going to be what, what, what we see, but yeah, the Lakers need him to be this guy. And with that, everybody, we have completed the first episode of posting up with Keith Smith and Adam Taylor. I was nervous as hell, but we got, <laughs> <laughs> but we got through it. You could hear me uh, stuttering over my words a few times. Uh, but no, man, I've really enjoyed this. We'll be back again. It's the holidays this week out in the States, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll sure is. Thanksgiving. The there we go. That means Black <laughs> Friday. We get Black Friday here. So uh, I don't know how that that made its way across the pond because companies <laughs> can make money. The, nice. Yeah, you, you don't do Thanksgiving because that's when, when, when a group of, uh, of us all ran away from you all. So you're like, forget yeah. that holiday. But yeah, yeah, man, making money. That, that's, a, that's a global worldwide thing. Everybody likes that. I mean, I wouldn't mind... Uh, being in america for thanksgiving if um, the lovely american government would like to make that happen for me but uh, <laughs> we will be turkey and everything right oh man i love it um we will usually be here twice a week but obviously because this week it's the holidays we'll be back again next week so keith if i don't speak to you before which i know i will but i won't on air I hope you and that family have an awesome Thanksgiving, man. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And guys, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like about the show. You, you can find us you know, on Twitter. You can find us in, in comments everywhere else. But but we, we appreciate it. We're, we're looking forward to doing this. We promise next time it'll be probably a little bit shorter. But Adam and I get excited. We both love talking ball. So uh, hopefully you all enjoyed this debut episode.